Founders of the Future with Joe Mardell. Today I'm here with Fanula O'Connor, the founder and CEO of Opdem. Fanula, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Real pleasure, Joe. Thanks. Fanula has successfully started three highly innovative people tech startups. So, Fanula, you seem like the perfect person to ask can a tech product ever be as good as a human? <laughs> that, that's a great question, Joe. Um, And it's one I often ask myself because more and more we're wanting tech products to do the work that used to be done by humans. And I think that, you know, we're really discovering not just what the tech products can do, but actually some of the most important things that humans have been doing because of how tech products work. We're we're getting that kind of information. That's awesome. That's awesome. So um, what something that I'm really interested in is using tech to better humanity. And I think that's something that you've worked a lot on in your career. So using your experience in the various startups, um, how do you think some of the best ways that we could use tech right now to push humanity forward and solve some problems that we're experiencing in the world right now? I think there are basically two things that tech can do to better humanity. One is tech is brilliant at getting information and making logical sense of it. A lot of what we call machine learning is basically just statistical analysis. The only difference is the machines can do it faster, better, more accurately than humans can do. So I think that's the first thing. Computers can actually give us that kind of really hard, really rich data. But I think the second thing is going back to your question about, can a machine ever be human? What I've noticed in a lot of my work is that Interacting with technology can actually help us grow in very human ways. Humans are not the best analysts out there. We're definitely not the best physically adapted to our situation. Why we are dominant on this planet is because we are the brilliant connectors. Our our brains are designed to read other humans' faces much better than they are to read the environment or to count sticks or... Um, look at statistical tables. We understand each other, we learn from each other. And that's something that I think we're finding now, we don't just do with other humans, but we're doing with technology and tech products as well. Absolutely, and and it all ties back to emotional intelligence, which is obviously what set us apart as humans. We're able to connect with each other and build these thriving communities. Um, And do you think it would ever be possible to truly create emotionally intelligent machines or enable machines to to work and co-working with humans in the same way that we do with each other? It's happening right now. I think it's, if we look at how, particularly when I look um, at how people, the digital natives work, live, think, feel, a lot of those human processes are actually achieved with technology. Um, we're all cyborgs with our mobile phones, with um, you know, our, our Bluetooth speakers. Our world is not just the physical world of our ancestors. It really is the digital world. That, there's, it, there's no longer this split between real world and virtual world. 
it's all one world. So I think it is happening now in terms of the emotional relationship and emotional intelligence, which I, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's how humans work. Um, Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, is brilliant on this. Just breaking down exactly how our emotions influence everything we do, even when we think we're being logical. And when I think, you know, where do computers and where does technology fit into that? We feel when we use technology. And what the best technology does is it responds to us in very emotionally intelligent ways. So um, to give an example from um, one of the things I've worked on, which is a coaching app to help people learn new things in their job. So, for example, um, bank clerks who don't just have to process customer transactions efficiently and be nice to the customer, they now have to do quite a complex range of work that includes upselling new products, that includes assessing whether there's maybe, um, you know, dodgy dealing, fraud, money laundering going on. Um, and of course, they still got to do all the things they had to do traditionally. And in terms of learning those new skills and ways of working, what we found is emotion first. So how do people learn? Um, they actually learn through understanding what they have to do. That's the easy bit. Everybody can do that. Toddlers can do that. The hard part is going through the cycle of practicing, failing, not quite knowing what to do, feeling bad about yourself, preferring to spend your time on something you're already good at. And so to, to coach people, it's not just a matter of saying, okay, to, to spot a money launderer, here are the five things you do. It's a matter of understanding how people feel when they work, how they like learning, what makes them feel good and optimistic and open. I mean, openness is really key to trying something different that probably isn't going to work first time. So what we did with um, our bit of technologies, a product called Weevolve, is we try to predict that how do people react to different, to, 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 to different circumstances? Like for instance, when you've tried something new and it's gone badly. And the first thing we did in the, in the app was built in an emotional reaction. Um, if people said they'd had a really bad experience, we'd immediately deal with the emotion rather than trying to help them do it better or telling them what to do next. We'd just say, that sucks. We're really sorry. Because I think that's how humans react. Um, we'd go on then to actually give people the kind of support and help that we, from what we'd learned about them in their, their use of the app so far, we're going to accept the most, the easiest. For some people that meant soothing them, saying, take a break, you're great, remember all your past successes. For other people, it meant raising the bar a bit, saying, you're a top performer, may not have worked out this time, so let's work on getting you to be better. It's different for different people, but what we found is it's not infinitely different. So we ended up with about under 10 kind of archetypes of how people deal with the world emotionally. And based on that, we gave them a really different emotional experience through the app. Um, so I think, you know, what, what we found is that that was far more effective in actually getting people hundred days on to be working differently than any amount of logic, 
resources, the kind of traditional advice. Mm. And I think the other thing we found was that people actually felt an emotional attachment towards this app. Um, in their heads, this wasn't a piece of software. This wasn't ones and zeros. This was actually someone who was talking to them and actually caring for them. And I guess they, they create the same sort of relationship that a human would with a teacher or a coach, someone who's been with them along that journey of learning, progression. Um, so that's really exciting to see that this is something that p could potentially be used um, for many people. Do you have any ideas about how this could potentially be used in other kind of areas? You, you said that you tried out in banking sector, but is this something that you predict being picked up across all kind of areas of the economy or different industries? Yeah, kind of. I think it's definitely, it can be used across all areas. Um, bankers are not that different from nurses, from construction workers, um, from teachers. We're far more different, we're far more similar than we are different. But what I would say is that there are limitations on how this should be used. Um, and I think it is interesting because in some ways people do treat technology as if it's another human. And then in other really important ways, they don't. Um, some of those are quite positive, actually. For instance, what we found, I found in a previous business, which was one that actually was working directly with teachers. This was a bit of technology that helped teachers understand what was going on inside their pupils' heads. So you've got a class of 30. And what the research showed was that how those pupils feel about being in the classroom has an amazing effect on how well they're doing their exams. Basically, if they feel good in the classroom, they're going to get good results. It was as, as simple a relationship as that. And what this bit of software did was it got the pupils um, to play a game for the younger pupils and to answer a quite scientific looking questionnaire for the older pupils. Though, interestingly, we started experimenting with swapping that over because we actually found that it was the teenagers who liked the games. <laughs> whereas the, yeah, I know, whereas the upper primary school kids loved doing something that was growing up. Um, and interestingly, made far fewer errors of um, just getting the scale wrong, things like that, than their teachers did. Um, wow, that, really, that is interesting. They were so impressive, actually. And it was really interesting that, I mean, that's why the user testing, you can't do enough of it. But this particular bit of software was helping teachers um, understand, okay, this is what your pupils are experiencing now. This is what you thought they were experiencing how do you help them have a better experience? And actually in delivering that message, again, it was the core was all about that emotional journey of the teachers, recognizing, yikes, this isn't what I want my kids to be feeling in my class. And how can I help them? And the early feed, one of the bits of early feedback we had from one of the very first um, tester groups was, it really sh shocked me. Um, and it was a teacher who said, you know, they, there were some really hard messages, but what I loved was that I was treated with kindness and support by the system. And after all, a computer never tells you you're stupid. And that made me think because I thought, how often are we told we're stupid by people? Um, 
we're a mixed bag. So I think that the, the best teachers, the best managers and coaches, right now, there is no technologist anywhere near that level. And I think there might be some technical reasons why it's, we're, we're nowhere close to getting to that level. Mm. But on the other hand, what you can do with technologies, you can remove the bottom quartile. And generally speaking, when you look at how things work well, whether it's organizations, businesses, products, if you can cut out that bottom quartile, you make massive improvements. Um, and so, yeah, a computer, if you program it rightly, technology will never tell you you're stupid. It will never be bad. It might not be great, but actually just not being actively bad can make a big difference to people's lives. Absolutely. And that's just one example of how technology is being used to transform the education system. Um, and especially in today's world where, you know, we're having to rethink exactly how we're going to, um, how we can actually do schooling and continue education. That could play a really big part in moving forward um, out of this crisis. Have you heard about any other potential ways that we could use technology to assist with the transition back into normal life or help students actually moving back into schools? Yeah, I think there's another um, thing which actually again came out of, um, well, that initial, um, the Transforming Learning project I did with teachers, but in fact, every um, people tech product I've worked on, which is that we are all very honest to our technology. Um, we will reveal ourselves. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm slightly horrified when I look at what I've revealed on social media. <laughs> I mean, in a way that, you know, I think in some ways I've been much more open in lots of different ways than I would be in non-digital life. Mm. Now, there are risks there. Let's not pretend they're not. But I think there are also opportunities that, I mean, one of the things that is one of the biggest challenges, I think, in recovering from something like the, the COVID experience and just dealing with tough stuff in life in general, you know, whether it's um, personal losses, whether it's been in a very difficult economic environment um, or political environments, resilience more and more we're understanding that makes such a difference. How do you build up resilience? Through practice and practice in exposing yourself, dealing with the how other people react to you and actually what technology can provide is a safe space and also a safe space that bit by bit gets a little bigger so a little less safe and I think that if I think about you know particularly kids who are I mean I've got two children um, they're 16 and 17 going back into education after a year of half the time stuck at home with mum interacting with their world mostly through screens um, and they've both gained a lot I think in this this period partly because it's been a really really tough period um, mm. and they've had to get more independent they've had to use a lot more autonomy let's cope with being really bored and lonely but how have they coped with that partly look good old human interactions are not going to go away and they shouldn't we're social animals we need to be helping each other and helped by each other but I think some of the technology has been really useful that they've been able to be open to be playful um, to connect with others 
and that's via technology. And I think some of the, the ways in which I've seen the technology helping that to be positive rather than taking you down to the, the Twitter troll worst of, you know, worst of human experience. It's been really good. And so I think there are ways to use smart technology um, to help people learn and also play. I mean, play is how we learn best. Um, it, play makes us more human, more creative, um, more fun. So I, I think there's lots of exciting stuff that's coming out. A lot coming out from the gaming industry, actually, interestingly. I mean, I use a lot of um, entertainment technology as inspiration for the, you know, the boring business products that I spend my life working on. Um, it's a great time. It's a really exciting time. And I think we're getting more of that sense of responsibility that goes with the playfulness because you need both. I agree completely. Um, yeah, I think that the use of technology to connect us in, in times where we are so kind of um, distanced is, is going to be absolutely essential. Um, and I think that's something that's going to continue into the future. Um, we're going to see technology bringing us together more and more with um, the rise of new things like VR and um, different interconnected technologies. So I think uh, all of this is really, really exciting stuff. And it, it could potentially lead to, lead to quite a lot of um, societal change. And well, I think there's, there's no way around it really that when new technology comes in, it has an effect on the, the next generation and, and how society actually kind of evolves. Um, is that something that you predict moving forward and, and what sort of effects do you think the, the new technologies coming aboard will have on our behaviours and uh, the way we kind of work and, and interact as a society? I think it's, it's really radical. Um, it's as radical as an invention which might surprise you. It, for me to pick this as the equivalent of... Um, you know, modern communication technologies, um, the bicycle. When you look back at history and you look at um, things like political developments, you look at how smart people got, you look at communicable diseases and inherited diseases, all of these things improved in the generation after the bicycle was invented. Now, <laughs> that does sound a little bit like... Um, you can, you can look up on the internet um, how Nicolas Cage causes drownings. Nicolas Cage movies <laughs> drownings. There is a wonderful... <laughs> I've seen that correlation graph before. It's bizarre, isn't it? it? It's great. It's bizarre. Um, and of course, it's just... It's a junk correlation. That mm. Nicolas Cage is, I'm sure, not responsible for drownings. Um, but the bicycle is responsible for all those things. And it was actually an epidemiologist friend of mine who, who told me about, some, about this and told me why. It's because once the bicycle was invented, people weren't stuck in their own communities. They weren't stuck in their quite small villages where everyone was re related and had known each other forever. They could cycle to the next town. They could even cycle to maybe a city. And so what you got, you got the growth of cities, you got interactions between people. And it was one of those points you can see humanity exploding mm. in what we can do. Um, and I think we're, we're seeing something like that now. So we're seeing, you know, you and I have never met in, in the well, month. There you go. Exactly. Um, my, my children, I find it so interesting because some of, 
the people they consider their best friends. They are virtual friends. They've never actually, you know, been there physically yeah. in the same room. Um, so I think there is that amazing potential. My fear is that it, access is not equal. Um, I mean, looking at things like the access to um, broadband speed in the, the parts of the world where population is growing the fastest and where you've got a very young and you know, full of potential population. There's a real problem about just getting the devices, the bandwidth, um, getting access to this wonderful world. Mm. And so I think that's something that increasingly I'm looking at, you know, how, how I can work, work there, how I can help, because um, that's a great opportunity. There is so much human potential. And if history teaches anything, it teaches that if you actually provide the ways in which that potential can be realised, it makes it better for all of us. So what sort of ways have you been looking into this? Like what, what ideas have you got about how we can kind of do something about this? Yeah, I mean, particularly um, I've started talking to some organisations that do a lot of work with um, young Africans and in, in particular parts of North and Western Africa. Um, this, you know, why that population, it's fast growing. I happen to have personal connections there. I suppose some of the, what these organizations are doing is looking at technology provision. So can they provide devices and broadband access cheaply, quickly, and also in ways that are not so vulnerable to problems with um, conflict that tends to destroy infrastructures. So um, there, there are some kind of, kind of hard engineering solutions to the problems. Uh, well, I'm, trying to help them with is maybe some of the software that we can put on those devices that is going to be helping them develop resilience, helping develop some of the ways of working that are going to be very important for their future and crucially connecting them in ways that are enhancing, that ways that actually are helping them build together. Um, so this is, this is very early stage, but I do think more and more we're going to get those sorts of you know, opening up of the world that those of us in the privileged world enjoy. Who else can we, can we take in? How can we, you know, grow this beyond just our own little village? How can we get on our, our digital bicycles and get out there and not just get to the wider world, but actually create a much, much wider world? Mm. Mm. And I think we could link this back to education as well, because in those communities where there's not enough access to technology, it's quite common to find that there's not enough access to education. Um, a lot of the kids either have to travel too far or they can't afford to go to a good school. And I think um, one potential possibility would be instead of trying to um, bring schools, adequate school into all of these different communities, it could be a better idea to try and provide technology to them, which will enable them to learn um, you know, on their devices. I know an organization that worked on this is called XPRIZE. I'm not sure if you've heard of yes, XPRIZE Foundation. They ran a, um, an incentive competition to try and build an app where um, disadvantaged kids in um, very low income communities in third world countries could try and learn to read and write through an app, um, just completely on an app. And it was actually a big success. So um, I think that's something that we could definitely look into moving forward but obviously it, it does depend 
on whether or not we can get the technology out there. And it also depends on how we're working with the local communities, I think, because the big lesson from development work is parachuting in so standalone solutions gets nowhere. And actually, there's so much expertise locked up in these communities. And what I'm very keen on is technology as, as a companion, as a co-worker, um, because I think that's where the best technologies work. And definitely in education, the, there are certain things that an app on your phone or your other device can do better than a teacher in the classroom of maybe 60 kids or even 30 kids. And there are things that the teacher can do better than the technology. And what you get is you look at the benefits on each side. And if you bring them together, you compound those benefits. Um, and I think there's a lot of um, you know, really interesting work being done by African entrepreneurs, too, in the whole communications field and education field. So I think there is lots of potential. I think you're right. There are lots of these. I think some of the gamified approaches towards innovation are, are producing fascinating you know, prototypes and actually products and, you know, developing communities that then go on to do, you know, even greater things. So it's a very exciting time. Mm. Um, and, you know, for all the, the reasons to be gloomy in the world, I, I think there are far more reasons to be, to be thrilled. Oh, 100%. I think an optimistic mindset is you know it's key really you can't can't get through without it but i love the point that you made about um gamifying these approaches and, and using the the concept of turning games into an educational tool um and is this something that you've explored in your startups um at all is this something that you try and use in your products yeah hugely i think everything from direct inspiration from games you know going quite i'm not a gamer mm. i should say up front yeah. Um, but I have always worked with people who are and going deep into games and kind of trying to unpack them is something I found has given us so many direct insights. And I think there's something also a bit more um, profound that's, I mean, as I said, humans learn through play. Um, there is a reason young children and in fact young animals, all the, the smarter animals play much more. Um, it's, it's how learning happens. And so when, you know, stepping back from the actual tech product, when I've been in companies where almost every one of my, um, well, every, every company that I founded or worked in, what I've tried to do is do something that right then at the start is impossible. How do we get there? We start playing around and it's bounded play. It's safe play. Um, but it's within that, big safety, we take risks. We try things that don't work, but we say, okay, what's to be learned from this? What did work about this? What were the ways in which we can see, even though it didn't work, we might be able to fix that? What are the questions we just still can't answer? And I think having that quite playful, experimental approach, one, it's just so much fun. You get the best out of people. We all work harder and better. And two, it produces outstandingly better results. Um, and I think that, you know, thinking about education, as you've been asking, one of the biggest problems with educate, traditional education, the kind that I had and probably you had, is that it's not much fun. It's not really that playful. And um, so I think there's a bit of a rethink 
that we need to do. Let's be pragmatic. Look at what works. Why not just do that? I agree. I, I, I'm very passionate about finding new ways to reinvent the education system because like you said, the education system is very flawed. There's a lot of good things, but like you said, it is, it's not particularly enjoyable for a, a lot of students. And I definitely think that there's better ways that it could be done. Um, so these are all, all great ideas to explore, but we're coming up to the end of our time. So um, before we finish, would you just like to share where the listeners can find you online, any um, social medias or websites that you'd like people to check out? Yeah, um, finding me online, probably the easiest place, unfortunately, is LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. My name is a nightmare to spell. Um, it's also a nightmare to pronounce. <laughs> but actually, if you go to LinkedIn, there are not that many Fanula O'Connors. Um, and you can, I'm sure, you know, on, on Joe's um, podcast, or my name will be there. Mm -hmm. Look me up and you can actually buy my name. There's a little loudspeaker icon click it and you'll find out how to pronounce it. Um, please do get in touch. I am always, always eager to hear from people who are curious about the world, who want to argue with me, um, who know things I don't. Um, please get in touch because what I've found in the past is that those kind of connections sometimes turn into friends, sometimes turn into people I work with. Um, it's the more we can connect, I think, you know, the, the more fun we all have and and the better we actually end up influencing the future of humanity i love that i love that mindset and whether people turn into friends co-workers or, or not at all either way you're going to learn and you're going to expand from from those interactions so make sure you check out um Fanula on social media i'll put all of the links in the description of the video so make sure to go and check that out but um it's really been a great conversation Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Fanula. Oh, it's been a real pleasure, Joe. Let's speak soon. Absolutely, absolutely. Cheers. Bye.